Hello and welcome to another episode of the IT News Podcast. On the show this week, we're talking to Rebecca Stevens, the Chief Transformation Officer for Oswide Bank. Oswide is a smaller bank, ASX listed, originally focused on Queensland but now found in other states as well. Rebecca joined at the start of 2021 and is driving a major transformation agenda across multiple strategic pillars. And we explore those in the podcast, as well as go deeper on one specific pillar around automation. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Just to start with, it might be useful to just get a brief introduction of Oswide Bank and also a little bit about your role as the Chief Transformation Officer. Yeah, thanks, right, and uh, pleasure to be here. So we are an ASX-listed organisation. We're an organisation with a very proud 50-plus year history in Queensland. We are a regional bank. We've got branches distributed from Brisbane right through to Townsville, and we've had many a happy year looking after our customers in regional Queensland. In recent years, we've started to change our shape a little bit as well. We also have quite a bit of business now in New South Wales and Victoria and other parts of Australia, and we're certainly seeking to diversify our book as we go. We're largely a home loan bank. I mean, we do the full suite of products, home loans, personal loans, credit cards, but certainly home loans is our key product. Oswide is coming off a very strong year in terms of its performance. And I mentioned that because that probably then leads into me and my role. So Chief Transformation Officer for Oswide. I joined them in January of this year. And really a big part of joining them was the fact that the organization was tracking very well. And I think the opportunity to consider its future is always more possible when things are going well. So we've got a bit of cash in the coffers. We're thinking about our future. We're thinking about how to be sustainable and resilient. And so our CEO, Martin, brought me in at the start of the year to help the organization think about that change and think about what that transformation looks like. So I would say my role, there's probably three things that I do. The first one is I help the organization to imagine. So what does its future look like? Who are we in the future in the next five years, 10 years? What sorts of customers are we dealing with? What's the product set that we're working with? It's really that strong sense of imagination. And it's always easier to imagine when things are going well, as opposed to when you've got your nose to the grindstone, madly trying to keep up. So imagination is the first piece. And we certainly did that in the first few months when I arrived. Once we've got that aligned vision or that aligned imagination, the second part of my role is then to help the organization think about its planning. So if we want to bring that dream to life, what does that look like? What is the reality of the set of actions or initiatives that bring that to life? So we've been through that planning phase and worked out what that program looks like. And then the third part of my job, which is the part that I'm very much engaged in at the moment, is the doing. It's actually making that program happen and turning that dream into reality. So that's made for a very enjoyable and very busy nine months. In terms of the transformation, did this predate your involvement with the organisation or are you setting about that transformation and defining those pillars and execution plans? The organisation had certainly dabbled in the past, I think, with some thinking around that and they absolutely had some digital programs underway. I think my arrival was about giving them real clarity and being very clear on choices. And in fact, I would say a big part of what attracted me to working for Oswide is the fact that As a smaller organization, there is just less capital available as for all smaller organizations. So in fact, it's absolutely critical that an organization is very targeted and specific about the strategic choices that it's making. So I think my arrival was really about helping to give them that level of specificity 
There's not a lot of capital. Therefore, when we make a choice, we need to know that we're making the right choice. There's not as much room for error as if you're working in a large organisation. And that concept of being very specific and targeted was absolutely what attracted me. And that's what we're looking to do in Auswise at the moment. So just to unpack a couple of things you've mentioned there around your remit. Firstly, you mentioned that your role is helping the organization to reimagine its future. And you talked about some quite long-term horizons in terms of five years or 10 years. Do you want to just give a maybe an overall sense of what the vision is at this point in time and how that might evolve? Because obviously it's hard to predict the future with such a long lens to a certain yeah. extent. There might need to be changes along the way. Look, absolutely. And I think the point of having the conversation is to get people comfortable with having that longer term view. But the reality is, because we live in a, such a dynamic world, we have to constantly revisit that and say, does that still make sense? Do I need to change anything about what I'm doing? So I would say that we're thinking about it very much in structured phases or even structured sprints, if you like, which is to say, how can we think about the next 12 to 24 months and demonstrate that when we put these actions in place, we can get outcomes, grow the credibility around our ability to execute on change, and then seek to drive bigger change as we go. So we certainly talked about a 10-year time horizon. We talked about what we would do over the next three years, and that's very much about aligning our digital investments to our growth accelerators. We absolutely want to grow like any small organization. Growth is key. So how do we make sure that we're directing as much investment as possible at the things we know are already working in terms of our growth? Now, the hard thing about that conversation means that there are other parts of the organisation that you just can't get to because you're focused on these growth accelerators. But we know that's key for us in the first instance. And if we're successful at that, that then gets us through to the next phase where we can think about broadening out those digital investments and ultimately being able to optimise on that. So yes, we start with that longer term time frame, but we also cut it into smaller, more achievable sprints. And then we just keep coming back and checking how are we going? How are we going? Does anything need to change? Makes sense. The other thing you mentioned was that you helped the organisation think about its planning and really set out some of the actions. And I think you also mentioned that a lot of the actions are very targeted as well. Do you want to yeah. just maybe give a sense of what the main sort of pillars are for the transformation. I understand we'll talk about one probably specifically in terms of automation and RPA today, but do you want to give yes. a broader sense of what the sort of main areas of focus are? Yeah, so we settled on what we described as our digital framework and the intent of that framework was to help make it clear about where we were directing our investments so that it didn't look like it was a kind of a scattergun across everything because that just means that you make your investments too small. And so within that digital framework, we thought about four key areas of digital focus. One is absolutely helping us to drive acquisition through our partners. We've got a very strong relationship with our brokers and we are seeking to continue to engage around that channel and improve the service offering for our brokers and our customers. So we've got a large chunk of investment that's devoted to that. We're also thinking about our customers and the importance of customer choice. So we have an older customer base. We have a regional customer base. We're talking about regional families, retirees, and many of them are used to engaging with the bank through its branch network. And we want to make sure that they can continue to engage with us in the way that they choose. So customer choice is our second pillar. And that's about making sure that we continue to look after our heartland customers, even as we bring on a younger generation of customers who will obviously be looking to engage with us more digitally. We're very keen to make sure that we are always thinking about all of our customers. So customer choice is our second pillar. 
Our third pillar is automation, and I know we'll pick up on this further into the conversation, but that's absolutely where we're thinking about how we simplify our processes internally and using automation tools like robotics. And a fourth pillar, which I think is probably fairly obvious for everybody, is that concept of digital uplift. So how are we helping to improve the digital experience that we're providing to our customers, particularly as we start to bring a younger generation of customers on board? So we've got those clearly defined as our four digital areas, and that has to be underpinned by the foundations of making digital work well. And so, of course, we're thinking about things like data, cybersecurity, modular systems, all of those elements are part of it, and just as importantly, our digital culture, so our ways of working. So we've essentially defined our investment profile around that framework, and that is what is driving our investments at the moment. Just before we dig into automation, can you maybe just give us a sense of what do you see as the main challenge or the main challenges from a transformation perspective? Well, that's a big question, Roy, isn't it? I know, it? I know. It's just, it's just such a hard thing to do. And it's hard to do because it requires the entire organisation to move with an aligned view of change. So getting that alignment of vision, but even then, then being able to successfully execute on that vision Oswide is a smaller organisation. We're fortunate that it's probably easier for us than most to align around vision. But likewise, you've got to have the capabilities that allow you to implement well. And I think that is the piece that we're really focused on at the moment is how do we provide our people with the right skills, the right ways of working, the right tools to be able to pull this off. Fundamental things like the way that we do projects. Is our project management framework working well? The way that we manage those programs choose where to put our investments. What does that look like? So that whole underlying infrastructure of change needs to be right, as well as the vision piece. And I would say it's different for every organisation, obviously. There's not a perfect roadmap to follow, but I do think change is hard. And I think just being aware of that and constantly questioning, are we getting this right, is a big piece of allowing the organisation to move forward. Let's talk about automation, I guess. I'll go into the specific automation pillar. Maybe as a kind of pre-step to that, were you able to determine whether there was much automation or what steps did you take to determine the level of automation that existed in the organisation when you joined and how do you plan yeah. to potentially uplift that or to progress that? There was certainly a lot of conversation around understanding our systems, the way that people work with those systems, how do we perform, just really a lot of listening, as you would expect. And I think what we discovered is a couple of things. One, Oswald is actually quite fortunate versus, say, your larger organisations in that we don't necessarily have a large, complex suite of systems, if you like. We're not dealing with 10 different mainframes. We've got one core banking system. We've got one loan origination system. But even with that, we still have the challenge of the way that the data flows between all of our systems and our vendors. And there are many points where the data doesn't flow in the way that we would like, and that immediately requires manual intervention. And I spoke to our COO, who obviously runs all of that operational support, and it became very clear pretty quickly that there were a number of manual processes that we were running where we were trying to get data from one system to another. And so he was extremely supportive of running an automation program. And in fact, I think the organisation had actually dabbled with this in the past, but been challenged to get it up and running in a way that everybody was comfortable that it was the right thing to do. 
So I guess listening was the key thing, making sure that we could see a need for it. And then as part of my process, we did go through some very formal sessions as an executive team, whereby we looked at the suite of possibilities of things that we could do. And then out of that suite of possibilities, agreed what were the things that we should be doing. And we certainly had alignment around the importance of automation as one of those streams. And maybe do you want to talk a little bit about where you identified opportunities to do more with automation out of that process that you just referred to? Yeah, so we went through quite an extensive process and I will dip my hat here to the organisation that we worked with. So we worked with an organisation called Simply AI and when I met them, I said, look, we want to get this up and running. We know it's the right thing for us, but we've had some attempts in the past that haven't been successful. I don't want to do that again. How do we make it work this time? And so we actually went through a really large piece of engagement. So Simply AI ran workshops for us across each of the key areas that we nominated. So clearly the operations area that I talked about, but we ran it with customer as well. We ran it with technology and we took a really broad brush approach to saying, A, what is robotics? What are its possibilities? What can it do? And then B, what are the processes that we actually have as an organization that might be candidates for the tool? And we went through that process actually pretty quickly over the process of one or two weeks. They were two hour long workshops. And by the end of that, we had this really long list of possible candidates to automate, which meant that when we then went into thinking about business cases, it was a pretty straightforward process because we had candidates from right across the organization to consider. And how did you go about prioritising or putting those into a pipeline of things to do? Look, I would say that prioritisation is something that we will continue to work on and continue to reflect on. But there were a couple of key drivers for us when we started. The first was being aware that we had a couple of cracks at this in the past and it had left, I guess, a little bit of a bitter taste for the organisation. We were anxious to make sure that we worked across a number of areas rather than one specific area, i.e. we wanted to make sure as many people as possible experienced what it was like with the objective of turning them into advocates. So that broad brush approach meant that we didn't hone in on one specific area, which is a really valid prioritisation approach. But for us, in the context that we existed in, it was important that we wanted to give a number of different areas within the organisation a taste of robotics. So that was probably probably one of the key principles we had at the start. And the second principle was that we actually wanted people who wanted to step up and have their processes reviewed from a robotics perspective, i.e. we didn't want to deal with those who might be more sceptical, and that exists in any organisation, obviously. So they were a couple of the key frames for us when we kicked off our first tranche of automation. Having been through that process and that phase and now having won some advocates, the second phase, we will probably think about prioritising differently and we will look at some end-to-end customer journeys where we'd like to make some improvements. So probably a different approach to when we started, which was absolutely about building advocacy to make sure that we could make this a sustainable program. And as part of building advocacy in that process, did you revisit the areas where things had not gone as well previously and try and fix those areas? Because presumably when it was originally thought to bring automation into those places, those were deemed some sort of high priority area or right for that automation. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, we worked very closely with them the whole time to make sure that the decisions we were making were consistent with their views. And so whilst this first tranche, we probably focused on breadth of experience 
experience, this second tranche that we're currently planning will probably mainly focus in that area that has looked to use the tool in the past and are probably somewhat frustrated that they weren't able to use it as one of their longer term tools. Now, though, we have a really good partnership and we're working with them. And hopefully all of those who caught the vision some years ago will now actually get an opportunity to see it come to fruition. In terms of the automation itself, what's this look like in the organization at the moment? How would employees or how would potentially customers be interacting with elements of this automation? Probably a couple pieces to that. The first thing I want to say is that we think about automation very strongly as a capability, not a tool. The reason I use the word capability is we think about it as a business capability. It's part of our business architecture. And that means when we think about deployment, we're thinking about people, we're thinking about our process, we're thinking about technology, we're thinking about the decision rights that determine how that capability is applied. We're thinking about its purpose, what's its intent. We've given it very much a holistic consideration with a view to this is a longer term capability for us. So let's think about all of those elements now. Let's not just think about it as a tool to be applied somewhere. This is about a capability. So that was really key in our thinking in designing the operating model that we have in place and the way that we deploy. And to give you an example of how we have deployed it, one of the areas where we know that robotics can make a big difference is actually customer experience. So our ability to meet customers' needs faster. And the very first process that we roboticized is our customers can come on to our online website and if they'd like to talk to somebody about a product but don't have time at that moment, they can leave their details on the website. And what would happen traditionally is that information would then pass through to our customer operations team who would then arrange to have that customer's details provided to the appropriate person in the organization to make a call. Now, as you can appreciate, those online leads or the customers filling in those forms can happen at any time of the day. And so that meant that sometimes it might be a good period of time before that information was picked up and passed to the right person to make a call. Of course, with robotics, things happen very, very quickly. We were able to roboticize that process to the point of getting the lead to the person who needs to make the call. And it takes all of six seconds. The beautiful thing about that is instead of a customer potentially having to wait a day for a call is six seconds after they've filled in that form, the right person now has that information to make the call. So that's been a really powerful example for us of the impact it can have on customer experience, even before you worry about things like efficiency. Yeah, absolutely. I know you mentioned at the top of the call that two of the pillars were around the customer side of things, but also the broker experience as well. And obviously, we've seen a lot of banks investing into their broker experiences, particularly with the home loan boom in Australia. So I imagine there's also a lot of opportunities on the broker side to improve processes on their end as well. For sure. And certainly our second phase is looking at some of those things, even simple things like how our brokers are accredited and become available to write Auswide loans. We've got a huge amount of manual processes that sit around that. And we're currently working with the team to look at how we might get some of those processes roboticized. Once you start to understand the capability, it does throw up a a tremendous amount of opportunities in your areas of strategic focus. And I know you mentioned that this is a capability, not a tool, but there are obviously tools behind this. Do you want to talk briefly about the tools behind the automation work that you're doing? Yeah, so we're using a tool called UiPath. When we first started this journey, because we knew that we probably didn't have enough skills internally to get it going, we brought in Simply AI to work with them. And they are tool agnostic. They work with multiple tools. So we then went through a process of understanding what tool would best meet our needs. And we were clear that we had a variety of systems where we expected the robotics tool would need to go. It wasn't working within a particular suite of systems. There were many different systems from a variety of providers. And so in working with Simply AI, we had a look at a tool from Microsoft 
Microsoft. We had a look at a range of tools. But what we settled on was that UiPath was the right tool for us because of its ability to work with that variety of systems. And in fact, when we were probably a little bit challenged about making that decision, we do a lot of work with Microsoft. So we were thinking about their tool as well. One of the great things that Simply AI set up for us was some conversations with other customers who use those tools, who were then able to give us a very honest account of this tool works really well in this setting, this tool works really well in this setting. And so I feel confident that we've selected a tool that's right for our context. I think all the tools are great. It's more about understanding which tool fits your context. Maybe just as a final question, I just wondered what excites you about sort of the next 12 months? Obviously, you've mentioned a lot of things. You've got four different pillars running. You've got the second tranche of automation in planning. But just broadly, what is getting you excited about the next 12 months? Let me just say this. It's one thing to talk a good game. It's another thing to be able to do a good game. That's absolutely what excites me. We've spent this last period of time going through that imagination process and going through that planning process. But the thing for me that really lights me up is actually being able to execute on the thinking and demonstrate to people that the change is possible. So when the robot comes online, I love putting that on a video and allowing people to say, hey, look at this, this robot is doing this now. And, you know, Mary, who used to do this process, can now focus on these other things. So it's the act of doing that really excites me. And again, being in a smaller organisation, there are just less people to need to talk to to get ideas implemented. We've got a very big focus on data. We're working on our warehouse capabilities. We're looking at artificial intelligence. All of the things that you would expect an organisation is looking at from a digital transformation perspective, we are looking at. And what excites me, I think, is that we can get some of those things in play pretty quickly and start to make a difference for our customers and our people. And that's ultimately while we're here. That was Rebecca Stevens, the Chief Transformation Officer for Oswide Bank. And that's the podcast for this year. We've enjoyed amazing support from our guests, from listeners and sponsors in our first year. And we're really appreciative, so thank you. We have big plans for 2022 and are busy making preparations. We'll be back with fresh episodes from February. Until then, and as always, You can continue to catch all the latest headlines in Australian IT over at itnews.com.au.